0: You can, de- you can get fit playing games, believe it or not. You know, people think that, well, you know, we can only get fit doing straight line running or tempo running or whatever. But remember that, you know, tempo running is specific for track and field. You know, it, it is. It's very valuable for team sports. But, um, you know, the reason that it's so popular in track is because it's, well, very specific to track. And so we can develop... Um, you know, and we can train athletes uh, in low intensity using low intensity games as well, and we can manipulate the physical stress through games by changing the size of the field or the work to rest ratios.
1: We may not be using the tactics in the off season because that's going to be the sport coach's job for the most part. Like the tactics are going to be based on what the sport coaches wants wants the players to do based on the game plan. So that's their realm. So we don't have to dive into that too much, but we can meet them in the middle on the technical side. So if we want to continue to use football, if you have a defensive back who struggles to cover in man coverage and the, the defensive coordinator says, you know, tactically I do want to run more man coverage plays, but we just our our cornerbacks just really aren't that good at man coverage. All right, coach, I, I hear what you're saying. So how about when I have the players in the offseason, I'm going to devise these situations where I'm going to challenge those guys to cover our best receivers and man coverage. Just doing these little isolated matchup game-oriented activities. So now you're meeting the sport coach in the middle from a technical standpoint, giving them the skills that they would want in designing the tactics or the game plan.
2: That was Fergus Connolly and Cameron Joss, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology from force plates to timing systems to muscle simulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap timing system k Kbox or coaches favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of, collecting, of data collecting strips, the Contact Grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 Max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an eye, faster.com. Welcome to episode 172 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. Uh, We have on the show today Fergus Connolly, and back from just a few episodes ago, Cameron Joss returns to the show. Have a great one for you today. Um, About these two really quickly and what drew us three together for this conversation, Fergus and Cameron wrote a book together called The Process – Individually, Fergus Connolly is one of the world's leading experts in team and human performance, a keynote speaker and consultant to many high-performing organizations, author of the well-known book Game Changer, 59 Lessons, as well as The Process. Cameron Joss is the director of sports performance for DeFranco's Training Systems. He has been a many-time guest on this show. is a absolute wealth of knowledge on all things training. He's been on previous shows to talk about things like resisted, uh, resisted speed training, recently single leg training, and now he's back for this one. And our topic today is basically what does it take for a team to win a ball game? I think that when it comes to sports performance, strength and conditioning, many times we uh, it can be hard to say the exact uh, impact of the role of a strength coach when there are many factors that go into winning. Um, Cameron and Fergus are going to get into today the four coactive models, so these four factors and facets that a team will carry improve or get stressed in throughout the course of a week that ultimately determines how fresh they are how good their practices are and if they have a better chance of winning the game on saturday sunday or whenever they're playing Um, the when it comes to a the integration of the the sport coaches and support staff like strength and conditioning sports performance having the idea of the winning game factors and these these unifying models can really simplify and streamline the process. So in so today's podcast is all about the big picture on what it takes to win games, write great training programs from a team sport perspective, and so I think a lot of you out there and a lot of these shows go to well, how do we write a great program from a perhaps track and field perspective, if you a singular skill perspective? I just want to jump as high as I can. I want to sprint as fast as I can. I want to lift more weight. I think we're all very familiar with how to write programs for those um, end games and destinations. Team sport is much more complex. So there is certainly ways to write programs, but it become it, it is a little more nuanced, but that's the fun of it. And so Cameron and Fergus are, are going to get into the morpho cycle or what that training template looks like for team sport training. Other things we're going to get into are the idea of base of technique, working short to long, working big or little to big, excuse me, and how whether you're the sport coach or the strength coach, these principles are all the same. And they're just just utilized differently based off where you're at. If you're the sport coach, that little to big or working a small field to a big field uh, is going to be a little bit different than if you're the strength coach and you have a different set of rules and in the games you're making to improve athletes' agility and change of direction. So there's something for everybody here. At the end of the day, if you work with athletes, be it either in a sport sports performance strength and conditioning context the goal is to win the game and so that's what today's podcast is all about is about integrating these fields looking at a, a unifying factor of elements that bring success and finding ways for the sport and strength and conditioning staff to integrate better organize better and just a lot of really cool insights and nuances that i think no matter where you are are really helpful And so that all being said, I had a lot of fun recording this show. Tons of great insights I took away from it. So let's get on to it. Episode 172 with Fergus Connolly and Cameron Joss. All right. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Really appreciate having you here. Uh, How so can we start by the story of, well, how did you guys get together and what um, transpired to get you guys to write your most recent book?
1: Uh, you want me to say it, Ferg, or do you want to talk about it?
0: <laughs> go, go for it, Cam.
1: Yeah. So, well, as far as I can remember, it started by we Joe DeFranco and I. We reached out to Fergus after he wrote Game Changer, and we wanted to get him on the Industrial Strength Show. And so, we reached out to Fergus. He agreed to do it. And we had him on the show. And when I read Game Changer, it, it really changed my life uh, for the most part because I. I was reading, you know, mostly strength and conditioning-oriented texts at that point because that's really all you had. And here was the first book that went well beyond that and talked about all of the different factors that go into developing performance in team sport. And I just, I was blown away by the the whole beginning where Fergus overviewed the game and the principles of the game, and uh, even just as far as he connected all the dots in such a way that I'd never seen before. So I was totally taken by it. And after we did that show with Joe. I stayed in touch with Fergus and I was saying, you know, based on what I've read in Game Changer, here's some ways that I I think this stuff can be applied to football, just some of my ideas and, you know, other sports as well. So how do you feel about it? And ultimately, it led to a point where we were talking enough and frequently enough where Fergus just said, you know what, let's how would you feel about trying to put this into another another book? So it started with one one idea to try to write a book together and then as we started diving deeper and deeper it seemed to me that we just realized there were so many there were so many rabbit holes to dive down that we just decided let's make it into a book series instead of just trying to make one massive book like what Game Changer was let's try to make more digestible books that still talk about the entire process of team sport preparation and and that's how we came up with the name The Process so that's that's as far as I can remember I don't know about you Fergus
0: yeah, no, that was it. And I remember you sent me an article, and you said, um, you know, I'd like to take some of these ideas, and and you'd written this an article specific to football because Game Changer was based on my experience working across, you know, multiple team sports and trying to create an overview, um, you know, to identify all the common things that were common to all team sports. And Cam sent me this article, and. It kind of blew me away at the time because it, it was, it was really, it was a, the best interpretation specific to football. And uh, I remember reading it going, there's no, this is way too long for one article. And I thought "Let's you know, w- you know, to do yourself justice. Um, and this is almost two years ago. Um, you know, would you be interested in, in, in putting this into a book? Because, you know a lot of coaches wanted to know, okay, I've got you know, I understand the principles, but now how do I apply it in practice? And in game changer, I just didn't have the space or the time to go into the exact examples for every single uh, sport. And as well, like Cam knows football better than I do and has played it for for longer than uh, than I have. So it was great to have that. And the other, for me personally, um, it was great writing it with Cam because, um, you know, a lot of the questions that he asked me helped me uh, understand specifically what, you know, the coach wanted and needed. Because there are a lot of things I took for granted that, you know, maybe, um, you know, I thought that people got understood or, or you know, yeah, there were a lot of assumptions I was making. So um, it was really good in it. And then there were some things that maybe I hadn't included in Game Changer, um, like some of the profiling stuff that w- is in, you know, level two, um, and some of the uh, the planning stuff uh, in level three that you know I, I just didn't want to put into Game Changer because it was too specific to football. So um, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a wonderful uh, project. And then the other you know big decision was. We want to split it up into a series of small, easy-to-read sections um, so the coaches could put it in their bag because Game Changer is like a brick. It's way too big <laughs> for anyone to carry around.
1: <laughs> it does weigh a decent amount.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can. I can definitely get a little bit ADD with with reading things. Sometimes it's. Um, I definitely liked how it had a lot of very distinctive sections, so which made it really easy. Um, but in terms of um, so linking linking everything together with what it takes to win a game, uh, why is it helpful, particularly for like strength coaches, trainers, sports performance? Why is it helpful for them to understand a unified model of what it means for a team to be successful? So outside of um, just getting athletes strong, robust, resilient. What uh, what advantage is it for the sports performance coach to understand more about these global factors and what it takes for a team to win?
1: I guess I could probably start with this one, just because I, you know, my my background is strength and conditioning and sports performance training. And I had this conversation not too long ago with Fergus, where and some other coaches as well, where if if we want to call ourselves sports performance coaches, then it's important for us to taking into consideration all of the factors that go into actual sports performance. So sports performance, isn't squatting. It's not benching. It's not doing a 40 yard dash sports performance is being able to perform in the context of the game. And so I think what I just said is, is the key that we, we really review heavily over and over and over throughout the entire series is that context is King. So if we understand that context is King, then we need a model that's going to allow us to understand the game better. And that's the whole premise behind the game model approach that we review in level 1 and we continue to expand upon level 2, level 3 of the book series, is that if we have this game model approach, we can take that and we, we can communicate that to the entire staff. So now, if the staff understands through a series of principles based upon this game model, what's actually happening in the game, That's going to make their job have a lot more context. And in essence, people might look at it and think, this is going to overcomplicate my job. But I'm of the belief that it's going to simplify your job if you're a strength coach, if you're working in sports science, even in sports nutrition or sports psychology. Because now you have the context. You have the model from which you can work backwards. And that's going to allow you to really look at your program and figure out, am I doing all of the things that are necessary to ensure that my players are fit enough to play the game, fit enough to handle the way we play the game at our school or at our organization. And that's what, in my opinion, if you look at what the game is actually all about, the principles associated with it, now you can formulate yourself a proper road because you have the roadmap. So that's my opinion as to why I believe it's important. You know, are we Are we going heavy all the time in the weight room or what do we do? It's going to be based upon what's happening in sports practice. How do we make sure the players are fresh enough to practice at a high level, which we have to admit is most important for their sports skill development is ensuring that they're developing from a tactical and technical standpoint. We can't beat our chest and make it seem like what we're doing from a physical preparation standpoint is the be all end all. You look at the four coactive model, it's 25% of it. It's one fourth, you know, so in my opinion, that's that's why I think understanding the game model is so important for people outside of just
0: sport coaches. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, we, we get judged on whether or not, you know, if you're with a team, whether or not you, you win games, refine it a little bit further, whether or not the player is getting better at playing the game. It's not nobody asks you what your bench is or what your squat is when you walk on the field, it's can you play the game? And if the only thing we focus on is putting five more pounds on, on a bench or a squat. Well, that's not really solving the problem. And um, there's a, an awful lot more to even just physical preparation. And then, you know, as Cam said, when you look at the the athlete as a whole, how do we help the athlete play the game better? And that that was the starting point for Game Changer was at the end of the day, how do we win games? And uh, taking it back to the to the to the athlete, then in some cases. Some athletes don't need to improve. That's not their limiting factor. That's not what's holding them back. And the other challenge that all strength coaches and all coaches have is there's a limited amount of time to improve a player um, physiologically to begin with, but then secondly with CBA or with time constraints. So how do we use that time most efficiently and effectively? Um, And this gives a model and you know, a structure for developing the athlete, developing the team. And, um, and the other point, you know, Cam's touching on it as well is the cohesion between all of the specialists and all of the experts that you have, whether psychology, nutrition, physical performance, movement, whatever it might be. Um, you know, you, you're creating a cohesive uh, model and system that everybody understands and can contribute to with the sole intention of making every player better and making the team better to win at the weekend. That's what it all comes back to is winning.
2: Yeah, I think that having a unified model can certainly, it could definitely streamline and I think Cam, like you said, could simplify the process. Um, You guys, and one of the things that comes to my mind is probably a common um, aspect of the game that might come up between the sports performance staff and the sport coaches, and I know you mentioned this in the book, would be uh, fitness and fatigue. Uh, like our team isn't, we didn't play well because we weren't fit enough in X, you know, the fourth quarter or something like that. And I, I like to get into the practical elements as much as we can, just to kind of get it because it it is it's easy. I think sometimes it can be easy to say, okay, we have this model, but when we get into the nuts and bolts, um, like what for us, what does that mean? So uh, maybe a practical question would be, well, what's something like fitness or fi- or uh, how does that factor in? Because that's something obviously that's directly. The sport performance coach or <laughs> strength and conditioning, obviously, if you call it that—that's right in the name—is very responsible for. So, how does that interaction, like what, um, using that as an example, how would that work in the unified model of of game performance and gameplay?
0: Well, just just starting starting with that, you know, how do you know that that the team isn't fit? How do you know that you know you lost at the weekend because it was fitness? Um, Alone, And that's something that, you know, just because you lost, you know, every every strength coach knows that, you know, if if you lose at the weekend, well, the first place that people look is to the strength coach. You know, they weren't strong enough, they weren't fit enough. But, you know, is that the fault of the strength coach or what was done during the week? You know, did they spend an excessive amount of time, um, you know, doing scheme, doing walkthroughs, you know, at practice? Or was it a strength and conditioning issue? That's the very first question. And I was speaking with a coach during the week, and they were, you know, we were just talking through the week and planning the week. And I asked him, okay, so which day of you off? He said it's Monday. Uh, he said, but last Monday, um, we did a little bit of we did some pr- practice. We did, a, you know, our recovery was quite intense. I said, well, why was it more intense last Monday? Well, we lost at the weekend? The weekend before we won, so the coaches gave them. Um, you know most uh, actually all of the whole day off but because we lost we came in and did extra and you're just going okay wh- wh- where's the logic in, in that you know wh- you know, wh- it, it doesn't make any sense it's about being fresh for the weekend and so it, it starts with analysing the game and identifying okay is it a fitness issue or is it a you know a, a tactical or a technical issue and starting there first um, and are players strong enough and are they getting stronger and identifying what the real cause is first and foremost.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, something that is specifically talking about fitness, that's that's important and why the unifying model, this whole game model approach, I believe is, is productive and useful is because now the sport coach can sit with the strength coach and together they can determine, and we, we talk about this in, in level one and we expand upon it level two and level three, They can determine what's our physical emphasis for this day. What are we trying to get out of the practice just from a physical standpoint? Right. So we're going to integrate the sport coach into that. And so now the sport coach understands and has some ownership over. All right. Today's going to be, you know, sort of a strength dominant day. We're going to have a lot of collision. We're going to have a lot of explosive power, a lot of overcoming of resistance. So if we're talking about football, we're going to try to purposely include situations of tackling or blocking with intensive actions and, We want players to be exposed to something like goal line, you know, if it's if it's football where they're going to have to overcome a lot of resistance because the theme of the day is strength. And now the sport coach knows that and the sport coach starts to understand, hey, you know, uh, sports practice is not just technical and tactical preparation. There's a physical preparation component to sports practice as well. And now it's aligned between those coaches. So the strength coach will now see that and understand, all right. We understand in practice this is a day where we're going to emphasize strength and tension and explosive power. So I can now concentrate that loading effect with what I'm doing in the weight room and support it because I already know what the practice plan is going to be based upon the physical emphasis of the day. In another example, maybe the following day is going to be an emphasis on endurance or aerobic capacity, whatever word you want to call it. So again, if we're going to use football as the example, On this day, we're going to focus on a lot of passing, downhill attacks, so we have more running volumes happening. We're going to do up-tempo, two-minute, you know, get on the ball, snap the ball quickly, let's get the ball down the field and try to score as fast as we can. We're going to emphasize those situations to push the aerobic endurance component on that day, and now the strength coach knows that as well. So now the strength coach says, okay, so today's our endurance-dominant day, so in the weight room, we can focus on things like hypertrophy, strength, endurance. Uh, or just anything that's going to be compatible in terms of workload compatibility with endurance. So we're not going to, we're going to try to make the adaptation, uh, you know, as specific as we can uh, by aligning these principles between practice and between what we're doing in the weight room. But everybody has a role. Everybody understands what's going on. I think I see a lot of strength coaches nowadays that want to have almost too much control over the whole process, in my opinion, where they're, they're not... They're, they're almost trying to overpower the sport coach. Like, here's what I know. So let's let's just try to do it my way instead of trying to meet the sport coach where where the sport coach is, meet in the middle and just say, hey, you know, do what you do, but let's just be on the same page where we understand here's how we're stressing our players' bodies in practice and in the weight room, if that makes sense.
0: Exactly. And, and by doing so, you know, it, it's all about... Emphasizing and dominance, as opposed to being like we can't be specific. The cell, the body, the nerves—they don't know exactly the exercise. They, they're just getting a stimulus, and what you're doing is you're ensuring that the the stimuli that the that the body are receiving are being um, as aligned as as possible. And it also allows the strength coach, probably most importantly in team sport, to decide to cut the volume or cut. Uh, mostly the volume um, in the weight room. Um, if practice has been, you know, a little bit longer than it might have been, or he can judge afterwards because you've got a little bit more control in the weight room than you might have in practice. Um, or he can, you know, if certain guys have gotten, you know, more reps than was expected, you know, their volume can be cut in the weight room. So it, it actually gives, um, you know, the coaches far more control over. The experience and the stimulus that uh, that the players are getting, so it's it's it it again. It clarifies and it unifies. And again, I keep coming back to: it's not about whether or not you know the strength coach is just getting guys stronger. Of course, that's part of it, but it's about: are we going to be prepared at the weekend to win?
2: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster yeah one of the one of the things that I think about and I think there's a few shows I've done in the past that uh, Nick deMarcos being one of them that has reminded me of or the idea of my backgrounds track and field so my my life for a very long time and even still now I, I am always thinking about uh, weekly setups to train a skill like sprinting or jumping or some some uh, a dynamic output uh, and how do you set the training week up to optimize that like we all are familiar I think with Charlie Francis and the high, low, or uh, like basically like what you guys were just alluding to, like one days maybe a high intensity day, the other days a volume day, and there's however many ways to do that. And that to me, I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's that's really exciting because it's like it, it, if we're going to peak on the weekend, or as if it was a track beat, for example, and you wanted to jump as high as you could, you need to have your week look like or your, the past month look like X, Y, and Z. And I, I'm sure, obviously, team sports there's so many more moving parts. Um, track I think is a little simplified. But a question I wanted to ask you guys are: Do you notice any trends? And, and we we're talking about uh, like these these models of how to do this. Are there any trends in how a successful training week for team sports, and let's just say field sports, maybe football or or a sport with related um, requirements? How are training weeks set up in elite organizations? Like our elite or a lot of elite organizations starting to really take this on, where there is a a mesocycle model or a weekly model that hey this this works pretty good for pe- getting people fresh for the weekend and if so what do some of those models look like
1: Yeah I know uh, you know I'll just touch on this briefly because Fergus is he's got a wealth of knowledge from this standpoint but you know I know what we refer to in level 1 is a, is a morpho cycle which is a 7 day cycle that it, it, everything within that week is going to lead up to the weekend or or game day really. So everything's got to lead into the game. And it's based on a tactical periodization approach. And in that model, it's just the game is what's most important. So we're looking at all of the layers that go into the preparation process leading into that game. And that's got to align all four coactives. And by four coactives we're referring to tactical preparation, technical preparation, psychological preparation, as well as physical preparation. They all have to align throughout the week. And that's what this tactical periodization framework really allows sport coaches to do. And in that framework, their weekly cycle is referred to as morpho cycle. And that's what we present in the book. And I think that's something that Fergus will be able to expand more about, especially because I'm glad you brought up the the high-low concept, because I know I've talked with Fergus about this a lot, where people do see it from that track and field mindset, because that is – uh comparatively a little bit more simplistic and you can take it a little bit more literally uh when you're applying it towards something like track and field but when it comes to something like team sport the way you manipulate high low variables is less about just looking at a motor unit cns intensity chart because every day is going to be high from that standpoint just due to the complexity of the game and good luck trying to tell a sport coach to go out there especially in football. Good luck trying to tell them, like, hey, how about today we take off all the pads and we just do our routes at 70%. You know, like, good luck trying to do that. You're never going to accomplish that. So, instead, it becomes about manipulating volume and density and some of these other qualities, but the intensity is always going to be high, the effort's always going to be high, but how do we manipulate the total stress load, allostatic load on the athlete? That's going to come from manipulating different variables, and and Fergus can touch more on that as well.
0: Yeah, like... so you know what i spent time with with charlie louis down path and when you when you sit down and and again i was always coming at it from a team sport perspective and never coached track um but when you sit down and you dig deep into the why behind these systems it they're coming from the very same perspective these are not the the principles behind it um are the very same they're just adapted to team sports specifically so you know and to to, you know it's doing charlie francis a disservice just to simply say he you know that's all that he he had but because the reason behind it was to allow the stressors all to align on the nervous system and so that's an example of you know when we talk about uh, a strength-dominant day or a strength-focused day or an endurance-dominant uh, dominant day or a speed day. All we're doing is we're aligning them now specifically for team sport. And it's the very same, the why behind it, the foundational principles behind it, but adapted to, to team sport. And, um, th- like, I mean, the approach has been used, is used in soccer widely. Being used by many college teams, some NFL teams, and even NBA teams now, and the hockey teams, um, because they're starting to understand um, two key things. One is that the alignment and the the cohesiveness between all of the different stakeholders in the team's preparation, and secondly, the ability to reduce the total amount of work that the player has to do, because now you've got uh, sports coaches and conditioning staff being more aligned and understanding what each other is doing, and and it's actually saving a lot of time for for teams where players are ending up, you know, being f- fresher. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a far more simple model. It does mean, you know, that everybody has to check their ego at the door. But in the most successful teams, and um, if you talk to strength coaches at you know the well known um very successful teams over the last 10 years they're the ones who um, maybe in some cases actually aren't as well known but they're more aligned with the coaching staff and they're not ego driven they're ensuring that they're doing their job to the best of the ability for the sake of the team, not for you know just their promotion of putting like I say putting five pounds on the bench. it's about can we win at the weekend?
2: Yeah, I, I could definitely agree with that if there's not alignment between the staffs uh, or the, the sections of the staff that extra athletes will most assuredly be doing extra work that's likely unneeded. And I, I it's like there's I, I always enjoy uh, even just hearing something like um, hearing things like Tony Holler and the feed the cats in a very minimalist approach. Everyone's just like. Such a breath, uh, breath of fresh air for so many people because they're just so used to everything being completely the other direction, where athletes are continually overworked and overconditioned, and and there's just too much and and cutting the fat out of things. I, from uh,
0: I mean, well, what 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 it, what it really means is that every single rep and every single exercise, the quality is far far greater. So rather than just purely looking at it on from a quantifiable perspective as in a time or you know a weight it's the the qualitative assessment as well is the movement correct is the movement efficient and that's the key component and like if you take Charlie's work um when you look at you know uh how he would look at uh movement with athletes you're talking about the skill is there's a huge amount of skill in, in track and field um in the same way as there is in team sport, but it's just viewed slightly differently. So what we're really looking at doing is improving the quality of every single rep that's being done. So in effect, it's actually demanding more of the athlete with fewer reps because as the athlete runs every single rep, you want it to be refined more and more in terms of the nervous system. So the athlete is running uh, a rep, um, they're stressing the body far more effectively and therefore becoming more efficient. So the quality is going through the roof with less total volume.
2: Sure. Uh, that's obviously where it, where it really comes down to it. It's the, yeah, the rep, the rep quality, the technical execution, and I obviously keeping athletes fresh enough to accomplish that one thing. Correct. Correct.
0: Yeah. Because uh, sorry, better is better. You know, um, and we've become over the last 10 or 12 years, particularly, we we have this perception that we can just outwork everybody. You only have to play the game once, you know, Uh, you don't have to play tomorrow. You have to play the game once. You have to win once. And that's why the quality is critical.
2: So with that, with that in mind, and I know, Cameron, you, you had mentioned this, like how how two days might fit together, uh, a high day and a low day, but what that looks like in terms of actual uh, team sport, which is much more complex than a track and field event. But how, uh, how might a whole, if you could construct a whole week, and maybe this could be utopian, you know, I don't know, because uh, obviously there's there's going to be like the track strength coach kind of way. This is how I do a track strength coach type mesocycle for a single output, a lift or a jump or whatever. But then there's the team. Uh, what are, are there any, and I kind of had asked this before, but what, what what would a week look like? If, if you, knowing what you guys do about uh, what, what makes a good practice and a great week, uh, is there a specific template that you guys would lay down that you would like to share that would be like the, this, this week, this training week, how did this unfold? And then the, that being seen, the strength coach can better latch onto it, obviously. But just for the sake of this podcast, is there, uh, like a week, t- a week template and a competition on Saturday or, uh, or even a week if there was a week off, uh, how would that, how would that look like, like Monday through Saturday from just a real general perspective? From in this maybe perhaps utopian world of this podcast, because uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of different opinions on things. But I'm curious what that whole week would look like, just because I, I'm always thinking about okay, if I'm the strength coach for this block, what am I going to do for each of these days? And I know you, Cam, you got into it a little bit before, but I'd be, I'd like to expand on that because I think that those uh, practical nuts and bolts are always really good to get into.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I can I can give you a brief overview of just the one that we lay out in, in level one of, of the process. And basically we just like, I like how you use the the term utopian because that's, that's basically what we laid out was like this perfect ideal situation where we just had the most perfect world uh, set up. Right. Uh, We, we laid that out in the book there for, for a seven day cycle, what a, what a morpho cycle might look like. And keep in mind, this is, this is during the season where we're accounting for game day. Right. So let's just, we'll use the NFL as an example, since it's simple and, in the United States everybody knows that NFL is Sunday right NFL Sunday is game day so obviously you have Monday night football Thursday night now but let's just say the games on Sunday so something that I learned from Fergus that I thought was really interesting is if you take this tactical periodization approach and hence the name tactical periodization because the tactics are going to be king right the game and what the players know about the game and how to play the game i you know in my opinion i think that's that's at the forefront of developing a master of their sport is, is, is knowing what they need to do in the game and building a game intelligence. So um, if we look at that, uh, something I learned from Fergus is some of the better teams in other sports like rugby and soccer, they'll take the day off following the game. So if we have a game on Sunday, Monday is actually going to be the player day off. And if you look at the NFL, most teams, almost across the league, with the exception of a few that I've spoken to, will come in on Monday And they'll do some type of regeneration work. They'll get the players in because they're thinking from a physiological perspective where they think, you know, we need to get them in and flush them out a little bit, right? We need to get them in and get their bodies primed and ready to go again. But they're only thinking in terms of physical. And they're not thinking in terms of aligning the sport coaches with the strength coaches and and the players and their involvement and everything that's going in there in terms of the four coactives I talked about before, you know, tactical, technical, psychological and physical and one of the bigger things that i that i learned from fergus and and some of the work reading into tactical periodization is that if you give the players that first day off that allows them an extra day to recover emotionally from what just yes. happened on game day
2: right <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah, we're, yeah. we're no go ahead I'm sorry i was I'm not to interrupt it's like i was dying to say it but as soon as you mentioned the 4 coactive, mom, like psychological is so neglected like that was just that thing going in my head so, so sorry i i, I kind of I had a host interrupt moment, but yeah, please continue.
1: No, absolutely. And that's, you know, and that's just, that's from the player perspective, of course, is all right. Now we give the players a day off following the game, right? No matter what happened with the game, win or lose, if if they lost, they're probably going home pretty depressed or, you know, maybe they're partying because they're depressed as well. They just want to get out and go do something. But if, they're, if they've are if they won, they're probably going to go out and celebrate, you know, especially if they're a younger player or something like that. So regardless, and if you account for travel stress and things like that, there's a lot of stuff that's happening there just from a psychological perspective. Forget about the physical for a second. And then if you think tec- technically and tactically, especially uh, tactically. That, that extra day off allows for the sports coaches to come in and have a day off just to, you know, for the players have the day off, the sport coaches can come in and have a full day to themselves to really review the film and take that full day to decide together. All right, let's point out the key, the key issues with what happened here in this past game. Let's point out the, the key things that we're going to, we're going to take today to figure out what, what do we really need to focus on with our message to the team tomorrow, meaning, you know, on Tuesday, if we just played on a Sunday game. So they have that full day where the players can psychologically just rest, right? And then they can, if they want to come in, it's optional. They can do some recovery work. It's on them. Uh, but that that day would be considered the player day off. And I know when Fergus was with uh, the 49ers, that was something that they did. And the Philadelphia Eagles do that right now as well. And they're one of the few, few teams I know that are doing that in the NFL where they actually give that Monday off to the players. And then... Now the traditional Monday would be shifted over to Tuesday, um, in what in what we're proposing. Where Tuesday is now, they've had a day to psychologically recover. The coaches are able to tactically put their their corrections and game plan together. So now on Tuesday, when they come in, two days following the game, now we have the traditional. All right, let's let's go over what happened. Let's see what what went right in the game. Like we're we're going to review the previous game, and then physically we'll go out and we'll do. Some activities that are game-like, because we're going to try to use basically the same stimulus that caused the fatigue. We want to use that at a lower intensive level with lower volume to just sort of jumpstart the recovery process two days following the game. Um, And and even if you want to think of it from a CNS standpoint, we give them a good 48 hours to recover as well, if you're thinking about that, those general Charlie Francis guidelines. Um, And then... Following that, that's more of a review day, right? And then following that, we're going to have three developmental days on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. In the three developmental days, we want to probably start with a strength, tension oriented day earlier in the week. And a lot of football teams are doing this in the NFL where that, if they're going to pick a padded practice, it's going to be that day. It's going to be on on Wednesday, usually. Or, uh, you know, so that's where they want to focus on a lot of tension, a lot of strength, and things like that. and then you, they could follow it up with that endurance day like I let I let on before, and then follow that up with more of a speed-oriented day. And the speed-oriented day is now going to be probably just in helmets, and we're really looking at speed of decision-making, more so than physical speed, but physical speed can still be high as well. But we want to see the players running around crisp, playing fast, operating at an effective level. So those three days are developmental days. Those are your bread-and-butter days to come in and really develop the, the new game plan, continue to fix the corrections that are most important based on major limiting factors from what happened from the previous game. And then following that, those three developmental days, we're probably going to have a couple days to review and refine, depending on if we're playing a Sunday or a Monday game. And those are the days where it's more of just let's review and refine what we're doing. Maybe it's a walkthrough or a slight run through, and then we have to start getting ready for game day. So that's like the the perfect uh, scenario model that we Present in the book, but there's obviously real-world examples that can get a lot more complicated and hectic at times, too.
0: Yeah, and if like if if you just take a step back and if you're to list all of the key you know common sense issues that you have to address with preparing a team, some of them are as Cam mentioned at the beginning, straight after a game. Um you know guys need to unwind, they've been practicing hard. So Let's be honest, the day after a game, you're not going to get any quality work done or teaching done. So if they're if you're going to give the players a day to waste, it's better give them the day when they're hungover after a game or when they're tired and exhausted. Give them that day off. And they've been away from their families all week anyway, so you give them that day off. The other advantage of that, the other thing is you want to give the coaches as long as possible to review film. So by giving them the day off after a game, the coaches have longer to actually analyze the game and to decide what is important to present to the players because if players are coming in the, the morning after a game coaches are rushing to actually have something ready to show them but you give everybody time you can take your time and decide how you're going to present it you've got the time to decide how you're going to present it emotionally you know was it a good win was it a bad win was it a terrible loss we you know take the time to decide And then if you look at it from the other perspective, from the game that you have to play at the weekend, you want to move backwards. So, you know, the the practices closest to the game, you want them to be short and sharp, running through with the team as a whole. Um, And after the game, you want to take the individual, work with the individual to correct their personal uh, issues or corrections or develop them. Then you want to put them into the unit on the next day. Then you want to put the whole team together. So those that's how you would, you know, using common sense, put it together. So this system allows you to give the players a day off, bring in the individual on the next day, work with them individually, develop their strength at the same time. They're going to have long enough off to recover before the game. If you do strength earlier in the week, then you put them together in the unit and you can start to develop their endurance uh, along with that. So they're together in their line or as a group or in their shop. And then the next day you're starting to put the team together as a whole. And now that allows us to work everything faster. So the speed is gradually getting faster as the week goes on. The, the, the muscle tension gets shorter and shorter. Um, and the, the team actually get the team as a whole ramp up towards the game rather than the other way or down. So we're, it, you're actually ramping up the performance of the, so that the team goes in better prepared for the game that's coming up.
2: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I love those illustrations and those... Just the anecdotes are the things I wrap I could wrap my mind around so well. It, it does make me think, and I really love, Fergus, how you were saying the um the individual to group model So you work so going from individual uh parts to working into the group or it makes me think of even in track and field where there is the uh, shor- a short to long model or a, you start with a base of technique and then you work that into um the 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 more intensive work or the more uh, collective uh, i guess you could call it conditioning later on but it to me there's a lot of things that resonate um in
0: exactly and it's one of the things that in track and field when you know, people are taking the track and field principles to team sport that, you know, they, they forget um, or maybe overlook, not forget, but overlook the technical component of sprinting. And the advantage of going from short to long is not simply force output. It is that technique correction. Well will take that principle to team sport and we're going from, you know, individual to unit to team in the same way. It's just when it comes to team sport, it looks different yeah yeah i
1: think as i think as well you know just along that that point that was that's that's something that that i thought was really cool when i started looking at fergus's work is how he's considering the whole group dynamic component as well where everybody gets their day so to speak where you know with the coaching staff where one day you know the emphasis is going to be on the position on the individual so the positional coach you know, say so if we're going to continue to use football as the example, say it's a wide receivers coach that 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 practice earlier in the week, that's going to be his day to really shine. Make sure the wide receivers are getting what they need out of the, the upcoming game plan, making the corrections from the previous game. And then you look at the next day and it might be the coordinator's day to shine, you know, or it's like we're going to or or, or we put the whole front seven together if we're talking about. Uh, linemen and, and linebackers on defense, and then maybe we have the defensive backfield. They come together as another unit separately, where we're bringing more coaches together, working together as a as a unit. And then finally, you know, that last sort of we we call it that speed day in terms of the physical emphasis. But really, what that day is going to be is just fast, crisp speed of decision making, where we're going to emphasize more team periods, more eleven on eleven action. With not a ton of volume, but everything needs to be crisp and game-like, and let's just get through it. Let's just let's make sure everything's running smoothly. So, I think that if you look at this tactical periodization model and the morpho cycle that we present, and it's based on uh, other work as well, you start to see all of the layers come together. So it's not just physical; it's not just psychological. You know, even in the book, we show the psychological morpho cycle as well. Like some days are going to be more emotional than others. Some days are going to be more cognitive than others because maybe this day has more film studies. So it's more cognitive in nature. You're just accounting for all of these variables that go into the, the process. No, you know, not to be, no, no, <laughs> not to be,
2: maybe you did subconsciously. No, I love, I love it though. I, and I, one of the things, even with the, uh, that's one of the things that kind of was like, it was almost like coming in my head is this you, the you? Talk about the four coactive, the physical, the um, the emotional, the tactical, the technical, like, and maybe you did have this in the book. I don't know. Even if you didn't, I mean, you probably did. But it is it, this is in my head of as if how each of those four factors, as if these four lines are going up and down throughout the week, and and how are they being stressed throughout the week? And one, one thing that came in my head as you were mentioning it was a day where an athlete might be extremely they're going to be taxed um, really intellectually. Like they're they're going to be taxed from a technical perspective very heavily. And I don't know, maybe this is, I don't think in, in sports performance, I don't know if this is the case. They're not going to be introducing really new lifting paradigms in season or anything, but maybe even in off, and, and I know the Soviets had this thing where they weren't doing heavy strength and technique at the same time or something like that. But it, it makes me think about the demand on the player from if you were going to teach a player uh, like a, an Olympic lift, like a complex Olympic lift on a day, and they already were spending the whole day or, or they're already spending a huge chunk of the day learning their actual sports skill, like where do did, did, did some of these, could there be a potential clash or conflict? Like, are we looking at, if we're looking at a, a player's battery in terms of learning what skills are important to learn right now? I don't know if that ever become. I, I don't work with football, so I don't know if that becomes a conflict by. That's something I'd never really even thought about until now would be um, maybe learning new lifts. And, and I mean, I've heard it before, like the idea of, you know, may, just make the lifts as simple as you can because there's a lot. The player has so much to learn in their sport anyways, right? And so I, I've definitely ha- heard that argument. And I know, I believe DeFranco's doesn't really use Oli- Olympic lifts, and we've heard that argument too. So I'm just throwing that out there. That's something that came into my head that was interesting to me.
0: What you yeah, I mean? No, you go ahead, Fergus. Sorry, the, the prince. No, I was just going to say, like, even just simply considering that is is important, and that's why, you know, ideally you keep um, the the game has so much complexity. Practice learning has so much complexity in it. That learning is always prioritized. So you want the player to be as fresh as possible for practice to learn you know, what the coach is telling him. But then uh, from a nervous system perspective, as they run routes or as they adjust, or if there's a huge agility component, that places enormous stress um, from a learning perspective uh, on the nervous system. And when that is always the priority, um, now what's left over then, that's up to the strength coach to decide how they want to stress the athlete. It's best to keep it as simple as possible, and it's best to keep it uh, and it's as simple as possible for the player. So, for example, you know I've worked with um, soccer players, goalkeepers actually, who had been Olympic lifting from a very young age. So they could go on Olympic lift, you know, because they were able to, and it wasn't a huge, there wasn't a learning uh, stressor on them. But in some other cases with athletes who haven't been doing it, and there's a lot of complexity um, for the athlete. To execute the lift, you might not do it. So it's not—it's not. You know, are you against Olympic lifting or not? It's looking at it from a really uh, intelligent, common sense approach. How much have we left in in the battery, so to speak, from a learning perspective, and how much do we want to stress the player?
2: Yeah, it certainly makes sense if you're going to use something like that or really get start getting complex in the weight room. That the best time by far is when there's nothing really technical going on in the actual sport just so they can devote all batteries to, to the technicalities of their sport rather than something that's not as high on the transfer tree.
1: Yeah. I was going to say before, if you, you know, if we want to continue to cite Charlie Francis and how he has the whole fill the glass concept, right? I think people see, you know, you realize that if you, if you start the day with an empty glass, you can only fill it so far before you, you overflow it. And it's going to be not just considering, you know, the physical training that you're doing, it's going to, you got to consider all the other things that cause stress to a player, to an athlete. So that's going to include cognitive stress. So, you know, a lot of, uh, team sports are very guilty of watching endless amounts of film, you know, but maybe it's something that let's figure out what's the diluted down most important concepts we need to put on film. And like Fergus talked about before having quality as high as it can be rather than you know, you say they said uh, I think they said Michael Vick used to go into the film room and just pass out and sleep overnight with the film reel still running. You know, so he's sitting there and he's bragging about how much uh, film he's logged or something like that. And this is no you know, I'm not taking a shot at Michael Vick here. Obviously, he was very prepared and very committed to what he was doing. But if players start getting it in their minds from coaches like you, hey, I remember when I played in college, you got to get in the film room, watch film. OK, I don't even know what I'm watching when I get in there. You know, I'm just I'm just sitting there and I'm watching film. I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what the qualitative assessment's going to be. I'm just sitting here and say I logged two hours of film. Coach is gonna be happy and that's it. But what am I really getting done with that? And how much stress did that cause me to sit there and look for something I didn't even know what I was looking for, you know? So the cognitive yeah. stress is going to add to the total CNS load as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's I think it's it's just so it's so good to see the big picture. And especially for me, too, I mean, I was I, I are or those or those people like me who like my team sports setting experience ended with high school basketball and then I did track and field. You know, it's 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 just good information to think about the intellectual demands of learning skills in a high-performance environment. Uh, one thing that I really wanted to get into for the last part of this show is something that, well, shoot, I just did my last uh, show on this. I've done it in recent episodes, and I think it's a big deal where these worlds are crossing over, but uh, agility and change of direction and perception reaction and that area where the, the lines between uh, sport coach and sports performance or strength coach or whatever you want to call it do blur where there's uh, perhaps some elements of decision-making. Um, Cam, you said it when you were originally in your, one of your original uh, statements was the idea of where our job is to prepare players for the game. And I think nothing probably exemplifies that more on a level. Uh, I mean, obviously we need to get players strong enough to play the game. Uh, but, than being able to move better in the game. And that's probably that might be the grayest area, I think, of, of all these things that we work on. I, I mean you guys can give your take on that too. But um and, and I think in the book you guys talk about and obviously often cited like Jerry Rice, like not a great 40-yard time, but great decision-making skills. Uh, I'm not sure where to start on this from a specific a specific perspective, but maybe just from a general perspective, could you guys talk about that gray zone in that world of just, maybe we could call it movement training, uh, in for really any athlete. Uh,
1: do you want to go Fergus? You want me to go first on this
0: one? Um, well, okay. (laughs) That's not an easy question. Sorry. Um, I threw
2: a a bomb out there.
0: (laughs) No, no, not at all. No. Um, like look at one of the, probably the, the, One of the biggest lessons I learned from from Charlie was understanding with athletes how much of our job is freeing up an athlete to execute um, their technical ability as opposed to, in other words, taking things out of the system, out of the program. So both taking it out of the program, but also removing tension from the athlete to allow them find their uh, ideal uh, movement pattern and it's the same with team sport athletes yeah, so, so the, the best way to, to improve an athlete's um, performance is to remove tension from the system fr- from both from the training program by reducing volume um, but essentially from reducing tension in the athlete um, from either uh, musculature or your perspective, so to allow them then to find their optimal uh, paths uh, actually, you know, when it's a modern day athlete faster is just reduce the amount of volume. But when it comes to to movement and teaching movement, it's incredibly important to remember you will never ever replicate the exact movement the athlete is going to do. So, so what is our job? Our job is to put the athlete in a position where they can execute the demands that are needed in the game. And so we have to create scenarios in practice which replicate uh, the context, of the game, uh, as best as possible, holistically. So that means emotional stress, cognitive stress, but also decision-making, so speeding up their ability to process information, to adjust, to adapt, to make a decision and to act on it and then to do it repeatedly time and time again.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just, I'll, I'll hop in based off of that where, you know, we, we put in the back of level one, we discussed the use of applying game like environments to the athletes all year round, you know, the players are going to be exposed to some sort of game environment in the off season as well. So it's not, just, hey, we do a full off-season of lifting, sprinting, doing closed, change of direction, drills, jumps, Olympic lifts, whatever, and then, you know, we just, we throw them in in training camp or whatever it might be, and now they're in sports practice, they'll they'll develop that skill at that point, you know, because going back to what Fergus alluded to earlier in the podcast is we have to take a skill-centric mindset to all of this stuff, so if we think of everything from a skill standpoint, we start to understand all the different layers a little bit better. And so this is something where you brought up Nick DeMarco. I talk to him every day about how do we develop the athletes from a skill-centric standpoint practically, right? It's not, it's not enough just to say it. we need to figure out some solutions here as well. So uh, talking with Nick, if, if we can use, uh, we, call, you know, we, we just call it training games in our book, and that could be anything from uh, what I refer to as a matchup game, which is more one on one or one on two or something like that. We're, we're trying to isolate a specific matchup component of the game. So it might be evasion, one player just eva- evading the other, or it might be some sort of coverage, one player tracking and, and staying and trailing another player. Uh, it could be some sort of dodging, you know, they're just trying to find a, an open hole. When players are sort of scattered all over the place, like where is the open lane? How do I dodge around players and figure that out? You know, it could be any any matchup situation you can really think of. We can develop that in the off season as well using some of these open, reactive, agility activities, and we can also develop multiplayer group dynamics as well by using multiplayer, small sided games, basically. And so, we presented in our book as a progression where we want to account for the physical stress and then also the cognitive technical all of the all of the different complexities we want to account for them and progress them holistically so i just try to sum it up by saying we're going to you know you think of short to long in a charlie francis sprint model well if we're playing games we can think of small to big in terms of the field space that we're using And then we can think of low to high in terms of the complexity involved uh, due to the rules of the game and the constraints that are being placed on the players. So one-on-one is not going to be that complex from a game complexity standpoint. You know you just have to go tag that guy or follow that guy or something like that. But now if we go three-on-three or five-on-five, you have to account for four other teammates and then five opponents. Right, so the complexity of that game interaction is going to rise. So we're going to progress into that. We're not just going to throw players out and say, "Hey, go play rugby for five on five for twenty minutes or something." You know, we need to progress along the pattern there. So, um, you know, when I was talking to Nick about it, what we basically discovered talking about is that we may not be using the tactics in the off because that's going to be the sport coach's job for the most part. Like the tactics are going to be based on what the sport coaches wants, wants the players to do based on the game plan. So that's their realm. So we don't have to dive into that too much, but we can meet them in the middle on the technical side. So if we want to continue to use football, if you have a defensive back who struggles to cover in man coverage and the, the defensive coordinator says, you know, tactically, I do want to run more man coverage plays, but we just, our our cornerbacks just really aren't that good at man coverage. All right, coach, I, I hear what you're saying. So how about when I have the players in the off season, I'm going to devise these situations where I'm going to challenge those guys to cover our best receivers and man coverage, just doing these little isolated matchup game oriented activities. So now you're meeting the sport coach in the middle from a technical standpoint, giving them the skills that they would want in designing the tactics or the game plan. So, you know, imagine being a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator in football And the players come back to you in a perfect world, of course. They come back to you, and they they now have any skill you want them to do. (laughs) It's like, do we want to call zone coverage? Well, they know how to track in zones because we worked that doing these multiplayer games or whatever it might be. Do we want someone who can cover somebody in man who's very fast and very quick and very efficient? Well, we developed that with our matchup games with these one-on-one situations. They feel very comfortable in the face of being on an island at this point because we developed that technically – in the off season. So now we've had this whole off season period to work on that technical execution. And of course, yeah, so we're going to work on the physical component in the off season. That's obvious, strength, power, speed, endurance, mobility, all of these different things. But we can meet in the middle from the psychological standpoint and the technical standpoint where now the sport coach probably isn't going to be the be all end all of physical preparation, just like we're not going to be the be all end all of tactical preparation, but the others we're going to sort of meet in the middle and we still understand where everybody's coming from. And we know that this is what the sport coach is going to want from the players in terms of their execution, their skill. We can work with them together and build that
0: in the off season. Yeah. Think, think of it as GPP and SPP for team sports. You know, for the game, so you go from general to to specific, and so you're developing the general uh, team sport skills of movement, evasion, you know, as Cam says, and and you you build those through, and and you can you can get fit playing games, believe it or not. You know, people think that well, you know, we can only get fit doing straight line running or tempo running or whatever. But remember that, you know, tempo running is specific for track and field you know it, it is it's very valuable for team sports but um you know the reason that it's so popular in track is because it's well very specific to track and so we can develop um you know and we can train athletes uh in low intensity using low intensity games as well and we can manipulate the physical stress through games by changing the size of the field or the work to rest ratios so um it's not you know it's not it's not revolutionary when you sit down and think about it. It's talking about playing general games and becoming more specific. Um and then even using them I think it's in level three we go uh, we talk about in the warm up how you can use games as part of the the warm up as well. And Cal, maybe you want to speak to that because I know you did you used um games in in warm up with, with your guys and in uh and in practice
1: Yeah I mean so from that standpoint you know it's just you can use reduced versions of games so you could still do obviously a, a generalized dynamic warm-up where you're you're preparing the tissues and, and uh, you know I, I know strength coaches we all want to make sure are, are the tissues prepped properly you know things like that so we can do that for sure uh, and then you can either combine it with the use of basically these little warm-up games. Uh, where you could do something very similar to what they do in soccer, which is just playing a game of of Rondo where one player is in the middle and they're kicking the ball around and the one or two players in the middle is trying to intercept the ball, just sort of like monkey in the middle, if you will, that sort of game. You could do that and then you could do really whatever you want. You could do a general dynamic warm-up first, do some of that, and then play a game. Or you could start by – Fergus even mentioned taking a balloon – having players in a circle and you have a balloon and you hit the balloon and it goes in so many awkward places, you know, you hit a balloon as hard as you can and it just, it doesn't really go anywhere. (laughs) So it's just, it's working a little bit of reactivity from a game-based standpoint. So you're warming up the brain, warming up the body together to be a little bit more reactive and and responding to what they're seeing in terms of their perceptual cognitive speed. And then from there you can go into more complex games where now we're going to, it's going to be more sport-like and, um but yeah there's there's so many different factors you can do and and really creativity is just as far as you want to take it and uh, you know i just i just love the idea of how you can you can put players in these situations and they're having a lot of fun and they are really getting fit it's almost like they don't know they're getting tired until you're like all right that's time you know you have them run out there for 4 minutes just play continuously for 4 minutes say it's ultimate frisbee or something like that and they're just running around having fun whatever and then you blow the whistle or you tell them time's up And then they're sitting there huffing and puffing like, wow, I didn't even realize I was this tired, you know, because I was just having fun. And, uh, you know, I had the conversation with Matt Gildersleeve at Buffalo where he's like, I want to start incorporating some of this stuff because I want my players to be exposed to stress and anxiety that's game like. So that's going to build the psychological component. So, I mean, you tell me what makes more sense for a player that's got to cover a guy man to man, having him cover somebody man to man and just experience that anxiety over and over against his team's best receivers in the off season or having him carry a log over his head for five miles, you know, something like that. What's going to be more conducive to the sport. But the thing that Matt was worried about uh, at Buffalo is he was saying, you know, I'm just worried about guys that are going to be just plotting and not really trying too hard. And I told him, I said, well, then you can take those guys out of the game, which is fun. And go have them ride an assault bike or pull a sled for you know the twenty minutes. Well, give them something boring; they'll they'll want to hop back into the game real quick.
0: Yeah, yeah and you'd you guys coming back wanting to play games rather than do conditioning. You know the I, the traditional yeah, conditioning. I, Remember that? I literally
1: had my NFL players. <laughs> had a group I had, had a group of NFL players, and I started playing these games with them. And after the first week, they came in and they said. I know you like to switch up your program every couple weeks and add some variety and variability into the training and all of that. We love that, but do not get rid of these
2: games. Yeah. The the the, the power of
0: play. uh, And and sorry. um, One other thing is what you're doing is you're taking a fractal, which is basically you're taking small elements of the game, um, but you're keeping them whole. So they're playing smaller versions of the game. So it has everything there. Proprioception reaction, uh, movement. All of those things are part of these, you know, small-sided games, or tactical games, or dynamic games, whatever type you want to put on them. And they're also being a movement screen. People think, oh, well, the two big concerns are, oh, well, they're going to get injured. Well, no, they're not going to get injured if you start at low intensity and build it up as you would do in a normal warm-up, anyway. And secondly, it serves as a movement screen because you watch the athlete move. They and you're watching them in a low intensity, particularly in the warm up. It's low intensity, it's low pressure, it's low stress. So you're watching them move, and they're getting used to, to move to moving in a proper way. And you can use that actually as your movement screen. So you're you know you see the athlete move every single day, um, and so there's a lot of value in doing it like that. Um, and it, again, for team sport athletes. Makes a lot more, makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, seeing an athlete move when it's just a warm up drill and seeing them move under game like stimulus are two very different things. And I think
0: uh, absolutely. The, the and the it's a teaching opportunity different. as well in the warm up at, at low intensity, at low pressure, you know, to help them adjust and to correct the posture, to correct their movement, you know, particularly during stationary, uh, you know, uh, warm ups, uh, you know, because you start where the player isn't moving. Uh, isn't moving the feet. They're staying in the same position, but they might be throwing a ball overhead between different guys, or they might be, you know, um, you know, moving a ball or or whatever it's stationary. And then you start to move to slightly more, um, more and more movement, lower body movement, laterally forward and back. And you're building up, you know, and you're educating the player um, through the whole warm up rather than just like we've all seen, we've all done it. You know, the the mindless warm up where everybody just stands in line and some sergeant major barks orders. You know what I mean? But players aren't even tuned in. They're, you know, they're not focused. They're not learning. Um, so again, it's making the best use of every single minute that you have with the players.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's there's so much power in in the reactive, uh, in the reactive warm up and. I, uh, I feel like in the scope of a strength and conditioning or sports performance coach, based off what you guys are saying, and I love this, I love the uh, the short to long, the technical to integrated, uh, or the individual to integrated, and, and the small space to large space, and I feel like within the scope of anyone who is in the sports performance umbrella, strength and conditioning, we all can be masters of small space work, you know, whatever that is, whatever that is for the teams we work with, our game and how that is integrated or one-on-ones and two-on-twos i feel like that's that's a language that should be more common you know for for seeing that things do work from small to big over time and, and what's done in the early season it just makes good sense and it's it's good to see a lot of that out there right now that's coming out uh so, yeah absolutely yeah so so anyways man i had Tell you what, I had enough questions based off of our time so far that we could talk for five hours. <laughs> but, but uh I know it's getting late for you, Cam. This has been an awesome talk so far, guys. Uh, thank you again so much for t- for sharing concepts from your, your book and your experience with me today. I learned a lot, and it's always it's just so good to whatever I guess silo we're in or space we're in to be able to expand our our field and our vision outward, and and to be able to look on things with new eyes and see how everything comes together. And so I'm really grateful I could sit down with you guys today. Thanks for being a part of this. Nice for having us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Joel. It's always a pleasure being on with you. <laughs>
2: All right. Thanks for tuning in for another show. Appreciate you guys being here with us on this journey that covers many corners and aspects of the field of sports performance, strength and conditioning, singular skill development, jumping, sprinting and far beyond obviously moving into sport, uh, team sport. What does it take to win success performance performance? I love this stuff. I love talking about, having these conversations. So again, thanks for tuning in, being a part of this. If you enjoy the show, what we're doing, you can really support us and help us out by leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you're listening to the show on. Also, our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end trading technology. They, are, they have been a longtime sponsor of the show. They have an awesome online technology shop, things like the Freelap Timing System. I use it all the time and love it. Many other items there like the K-Box, contact grids, muscle stimulators, EMG shorts, and more. They have an awesome online supply for your sport tech needs, an awesome blog as well. So be sure to support them as they have been a longtime supporter of us. All right, that does it for this week. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.